Hey everybody, before we start Sad Times, I wanted to tell you about an amazing experience I had with my friend Tim, who is a product designer. Tim focuses on creating meaningful experiences, and he really does. He and I, along with a friend of ours, worked on a new logo that we're going to be rolling out soon, and it was a collaborative, really engaging process. His background is in tech, customer success, and music, and it brings a unique creative approach to each project. So if you or someone you know is looking for a designer to create new interfaces, logos, or perform UX research, Tim would love to have a conversation with you. The best way to reach him is through his website, timhain.com. I'll spell that. That's T-I-M-H-E-H-N.com. timhain.com. Click on the contact tab and fill out the contact form. You'll be glad you did. And now on with the show. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of My Voice Sounds a Little Rough Today. Not exactly sure why. Hey, this is Sad Times. My name is Kevin. Thank you so much for listening. For any of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, here's a quick primer of what we do. Each week, we have a special guest who comes on and talks about difficult times in their life, traumas, horrible struggles that they've gone through. And the goal here is not to solve these problems, to diagnose them nor is it to judge them. It's just to allow that story to be told so that we can, one, continue to destigmatize mental health, and two, can continue to have these stories told by people so that they have the catharsis of telling them and that you, wherever you may be listening, uh, will be able to hear a story and say, hey, I didn't realize somebody else uh, had that experience or, or thought that way and maybe feel a little bit less alone. So that's what Sad Times is. Um, <clears throat> we do have a sweet website. It's www sadtimespodcast.com. You go check that out. There is a way that you can uh, register to be a guest. You can leave a review. You can listen to all of our episodes there. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. And, you know, the whole goal of this podcast is to help people feel less alone around difficult topics. So if you know someone who you feel would benefit from this, please share this with them. Um, and uh, it would be it would be very much appreciated. So before we get to our special guest today, we do have to do our sponsor. And today's sponsor is the unyieldingly intense stare of the local news anchor at a two person desk. The one who is not reading the top story. Just as you settle in to catch the local news with the two top news anchors, Martha and Barry, while you are here to hear the top story about the Labor Relations Board in your county as related by Martha, you can't help but be drawn in by Barry's intense, soul-searching stare into the camera and into your soul. That's the unyieldingly intense stare of the local news anchor at a two-person desk who is not reading the top story. Furrowed brow, teleprompter reading, and soul-searching. Wow. Great sponsor this week. As always, we do want you to support our sponsors. Just use the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E at checkout. And uh, we will go from there. So that being said, we have a really cool and special guest that I'm very excited about today. And let's introduce him now. His name is Tony. Tony, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Kevin. How are you, sir? Uh, I am doing just fine. Uh, thank you very much. And Tony... Tell us a little bit about where you're from and kind of the work that you do, and then we'll kind of transition into having our discussion. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, my name is Tony. I am the executive director at a rural community mental health center in uh, middle of Illinois. So I tell people if you're driving from Springfield, you'll hit Decatur, cornfield, 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 pause, <laughs> that's us, cornfield, cornfield, soybean, and then you hit champagne. So I was hoping you'd get soybean in there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so how long have you been yeah. there? Uh I'm about seven and a half years there so far. Yep. Awesome. And what drew you into this line of work? Uh it started honestly whenever I was around second or third grade was uh had an upbringing where there was some some abuse and and some trauma. And was becoming um, a little heathen running through school because bad attention is still attention. So um, was just trying to create a little bit of chaos uh, that I enjoyed and had an encounter with my school guidance counselor, who was the first man to sit me down and look me in the eyes, validate my pain 
but tell me I could not use that as an excuse for my behavior. And I thought in that very moment of, I want to do that. And that started uh, a career where I started off uh, after graduating from Illinois State University, go Redbirds. Um, (laughs) I started as a foster care case manager and um, saw the best of people and saw the worst of people. And um, sadly, the children were there in the middle of that. So did that for about three or four years, went back, got my master's degree. Um, worked for a parachurch organization as their uh, director of counseling and then quickly moved to executive director um, where we did counseling, uh, voluntary foster care, and adoption services. Wow. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is an amazing story. I, I, I want to, the guidance counselor that you spoke of, you know, too often, this is my opinion, too often as we get in heated debates about whatever it may be, we tend to villainize these people who are trying to help at schools. We villainize teachers. We villain, you know, it may be to a lesser extent guidance counselors. But to hear such a, uh, uh, a turning point in your life from somebody who is just trying to help, I mean, that is a powerful thing to hear. And what a hero. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Steve Allen from Newman Grade School. That was, uh, that was the gentleman that helped start the catalyst there. Nice, nice. And it sounds like, uh, I hope it was the same Steve Allen who I believe hosted The Tonight Show. Of course it wasn't. Um, okay, and then foster care. Now, I've yep. uh, we've had some guests on the show um, that have gone through that system. And I, I think you hit it on the head. This is me being very ignorant. Um, the best of people, the people who want to help, and then whatever case may be with the worst of people, I, I think that's right in that system. and. I just, again, using the word hero for people who work in that system and actually try to make it better or try to help. I mean, there's not enough good can be said about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you have some very dedicated people that uh, if they see the bigger picture is um, if we can love these kids, see these kids and validate them as people and, and remind them that they have power of choice. They don't have to just be a a victim over their situation, but they can be a victor if they if they choose to. Um, wow, what an interesting ability to literally change the world. We can change generational behavior um, just by seeing these kids. Yeah, I. It, you're right. I mean, it's the old... Gosh, uh, I don't know if it's Aristotle. Who it is, it's like, uh, if you give me the child to seven, I'll give you the man or the woman, right? It's like, it's those formative years. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, again, heroic and good work. And, um, you know, it was just around third grade, actually, in that little stopover town that you're talking about there, that uh, I was told, hey, it's time for you to go to um, the mental health place. And I was like, "Uh, but why? Uh, and I, I'm sure that I was told I just don't recall. So I went to that same very same place in a different location uh, where you work now. And I didn't know why I was there. So I just made up a bunch of stuff uh, and talked about how I was in karate and all sorts of crazy stuff. Right. And so I, I was even put in with a, another boy my age. We had like a group therapy thing. And I talked about my karate. So my dad came to pick me up one day. And uh, this boy said, hey, show me that spinning kick you were talking about, which is something I made up. So I did the spinning kick, and my dad's just staring at me, and he goes, what are you doing? And I was, I was like, you know, the karate. So uh, anyway, the, the, the woman who helped me there was, was, was helpful, and I, I just want to know what she was writing on her little her notepad there. Um, and so I, I have had experience there. Now, I, as we've talked about on the show, I've been going to therapy for about 32 years. Um, I want to ask you a pretty broad question because I think it's something that people are aware of but maybe don't really understand. So tell me, what do you think of when, you, when somebody says, hey, what is community mental health and a community, me- <clears throat> excuse me, community mental health center? How do you answer that? Yeah, I think the the Community Mental Health Center is an organization that's invested into the community. It's um, it's got a commitment to the community. It's highly knowledgeable about the community and and also committed to the long 
care uh, progression of each individual. So, uh, for example, at our place, we have both prevention, treatment, and recovery services. We want to see people, if we can do social-emotional learning or preventative health, um, we can address that. If it moves into an area where we want uh, or the client chooses that they need treatment, we have outpatient behavioral health that can address that. And then from a maintenance standpoint of, you know, you're doing okay, but every now and then we need to, you know, pull the car in for an oil change, look at a few things and get back out on the road. We have a recovery support there. So it's this continuum of care. So it's not like that's a a compartment of my life. It's, It's a continuous pursuit of wellness. So I think, Kevin, what I told you before when we talked is, I believe that the greatest community needs to be met by the greatest community resources. Oh, yep. That's, oh, wow. That is a, that is a very good uh, and strong statement, I think. So you, I mean, you just, so I think most people, when they would see a community mental health center, maybe they would think, oh, that's where certain people go and talk to somebody. But mm-hmm. what you're, um, and what you told me before, and kind of what you're expanding on here now is how intertwined you are in the community. And how yeah. you are there for the community, and it's and and how often do you find that hey, I'm here from from this mental health center, and there's a weird reaction or a stigmatizing of the mental health, and uh, when you're meeting with people in the community, yeah, and 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 I want to say this up front, I think that anybody that chooses to practice behavioral health and counseling and whatever spectrum that is. Um, they've got the purest hearts, desires. They do amazing work, greatly underpaid, understaffed, um, but highly valuable. Uh, but with that being said is, quite frankly, if I'm in a larger metropolitan area and you come and see me, whether or not you address the issues that you're choosing to address has no effect upon me. I mean, we we continue to have a professional relationship, but you go to your world and I go to my world. Mm-hmm. The difference is here in, in a small rural community is your well-being is directly tied to my community well-being. So if you choose to, to get better and address your issues, um, that creates a, a more healthy environment for, for my community. Uh, if you're school-aged, uh, it doesn't create as many disruptions to learning. And I have kids in your school district. So um, you are affecting my family. Um, you are affecting the resources that are being um, committed to the family. So many local rural areas have what they know as a 708 mental health board. Um, the only reason why those things are put together is because people in the community say we need additional supports. So we need funding for problem solving courts. Um, sexual assault, trauma and recovery centers, domestic violence centers, um, outpatient behavioral health, prevention services. So all of that to be said is that it's not like we do a transaction and I go home. I will see you in the, in the local grocery store at the end of the weekend and, and we will have an encounter and you are a part of my life because you are a part of my, my, um, my community. And so I have an investment not only as a behavioral health provider, but I have an investment into you because we share the same community. Yeah, and man, community uh, is a word. I I can think of a couple other words that I think get thrown around all the time, and I don't know if people understand. They they certainly uh, like words like freedom, right? But community is a is a very powerful world word. It's a powerful idea, and the way you're talking about it is it. it it still exists, right? Social media was supposed to bring us together more or whatever the hell. Um, right. and, and But what you're talking about is the actual community. We see each other at the pharmacy, at the, at the grocery store, and we have, we're all invested in making this community, this society work. Do you find that when you bring that message to people, uh, is that, do people say, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way? Or they're like, yes, finally, you know, that's what I w- was looking for too. Maybe a middle of the road, you know, what, what, what's kind of the reaction that you get? Yeah, I think probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, it was, um, 
Mahatma Gandhi that says that the true measure of any society can be found on how it treats its most vulnerable members. That's how you judge a society. It's how we take care of our marginalized community. Do we continue to profit while they continue to struggle and whatever means that is? Or do we realize that we have a commitment and we have resources and we can reach down and pull people up? We can advocate for people that don't have a voice. I would like to say I live in a community where, you know, we still wave at each other down the street. Some, uh, you know, you see people, their car, for whatever reason, quits working that others will get out and push it out of the way. Um, that is the measure of a good community is those that have see those that have not and do something about it. So um, you still have the stigma of mental health. We yeah. still have people in our community where there are stories that are inaccurate about um, their well-being and uh, they will be, quite frankly, ignorant and afraid that like they're going to catch it or something. And so they stay away. Um, but I think when you start to humanize somebody and you realize that, again, going back to community, there's more that binds us together than separates us. You can see the humanity that exists between each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that when we spoke before, we talked about I, you were saying, oh, what if that's catching, you know, a, a mental health thing? And it that like the irony of the anxiety about anxiety, like, oh, I don't want to harm that person but i i'm also i don't know what to do and i i don't want to get too close type of idea and and so it's it's really community uh uh resources like you guys that help us uh take care of as you said the the gandhi uh the the less of the least of us basically mm -hmm. um so with that in mind um what just you said stigma Let's talk about mm -hmm. the stigma around mental health. I mean, sure, it's better than it used to be. Uh, I'm of the opinion, like you ever hear this thing, we're having a conversation about mental health. And my, my, my first reaction is always, are we though? Because I don't know if we are. I think we are more than we were. But in your time in working in mental health, whether it be from the foster care system or even in your seven and a half years here at, at where you work currently, what have you seen, if at all, the stigma change and what are some of the positive things that you've seen change? And then also, what are some of the things that unfortunately are still kind of hanging on as a negative stigma around mental health? Big question. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've come a long way, but we have a lot more steps to go. So I think the fact that it is mental health is making it into our vernacular is healthy. I think um, I have great hope um, with our young people. Uh, I think we've got generational change. Um, we've had school therapists in the building. And so we try to be respectful of people's confidentiality and not acknowledge them and, and you know, give them their space. But they'll yell down the hallway, hey, that's my therapist. Uh, <laughs> and Or I love going to therapy so I can get all my garbage out. It's like, yes, yeah. yes wellness is wellness. That's what it is. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we, people are scared of what they don't know, or they're fearful of, of what they don't know. And we have a lot of ignorance about it. So one of the best things that we can do is we can continue to keep talking about it. Um, again, you know, one out of five adults have a diagnosable mental health issue. So, um, you have or you know somebody very close to you in your family that is experiencing mental health issues. And so um, let's talk about it. Let's not be scared about it. Um, let's humanize it. And, and again, you know, I would say wellness is wellness. We have this natural tendency um, to pull back and say, uh oh, I, I've shown you way too much of my emotional slip. Like I forgot I'm supposed to be fake and put my mask on. How are you? I'm good. Very good. No, I'm a hot mess. I am a dumpster fire of a type of day. And then I go to work and I put my mask on and I'm all professional. And it's like the problem with that is, is that there is going to sometime be a day where there's another friend or community member of mine that's had a dumpster, dump, <laughs> dumpster fire type of day. And I can at least share some of the stuff that worked for me. That's where we should be is that's 
That's the difference between, um, you know, I've, I've heard you, you shouldn't sympathize for somebody. You should empathize with them. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but that's not the best way. So empathizing would be, well, sympathizing would be, I see you in the hole. That sucks for you. Mm-hmm. Empathizing is, okay, let me get into the hole so I can see it from your perspective. An advocate is, let's get the heck out of this hole together. Yeah. That's what we need is advocacy. I Advocacy. Okay. And I'm going to put a pin in that. And you said wellness is wellness. I love that phrase. I, I was even mouthing it to myself, kind of thinking about it. And what it made me think, and, and let me know if, if I'm going in the same direction you're thinking is, I think we're... To a degree, we're like, oh, my goodness, um, my family member is ill with cancer or something horrible. And we are like, well, we're going to treat it X, Y, and Z ways. But if we were to say, oh, my family member is ill with depression, it, it's also wellness. It's it's emotional wellness. And, and putting them on the same plane as our physical well-being, our emotional well-being, uh, I think for me at least in, in the advocacy that I do – that's probably the largest uh, still big thing to do is to say, hey, um, this is not different than somebody who has diabetes and needs to have treatment. This is somebody who has a, a, an illness or a, a what, have, what, what have you. And so when you say advocacy, um, especially, you know, you're in Illinois. And um, does that mean how often are you as in your job? interacting with politicians or, um, you know, working to say, hey, these are the important issues that we want to see on the ballot, not even the ballot, but like make sure are enshrined in law or what have you. Is that something that that is a part of your job or am I overstating things? No, not at all. I mean, really, there's power in the purse. And so since I my agency has a uh, around a 67% Medicaid rate. We are seeing some of the most under-resourced people in our community. And um, I'll come back to a couple of things that you said. So, Kevin, you used the analogy of somebody that had cancer and uh, saying, oh, yeah, well, we need to treat that. Well, there's a lot of out- outward behavior sometimes of people that have can- cancer. You see them, you know, uh, physically. There is a difference, and you can tell that mm-hmm. they're not well. Right. Or well, let's say you break an arm, and there's a cast. There is a physical, nonverbal, I'm not well. And so people do have sympathy for that. Not so much for the behavioral health because it comes out in a behavior. And so, oh, well, you were um, late for work. Oh, you are combative. Oh, you spent way too much money, and now you are in. Uh, financial crisis. Yes, because they experienced a mental health issue. Uh, it's, wellness is wellness. There are many, many, many different paths to recovery. And so um, it's not take a pill, you're better. It's not mm. wrap it uh, up uh, in a bandage and you're better because based upon your traumatic experience, based upon your genetics, your socioeconomic uh, status, and just quite your, your body chemistry, the treatment will be wildly different for one versus the other. Um, but but to get back to your first point, yes, we talk to we talk to politicians. I have uh, county, state, and federal politicians that have been through my building within the last two years. Um, drastically talking to them right now about the Medicaid reimbursement rate. It is woefully, woefully under resourced. So uh, especially for my psychiatry fee. Um, so we're talking to them about you need to raise rates. You you need to give us more um, in grant funding because there's a lot of these unfunded mandates packed into these state grants. Um, you mm-hmm. need to start allowing more people that have done the education to be credentialed. Um, so there's uh, recently within the last uh, three years, we've worked with our congressman to get LCPCs and LMFTs added to they call the the uh, Mental Health Improvement Act. It's letting those people that have had a master's degree, supervision, and licensure bill for Medicare services. That's never been done before. So if you allow more people to bill, guess what? You get more providers that you can hire and you can expand access. 
So it's all those things. It's money. It's access. It's um, don't forget about us. You know, <laughs> Southern <laughs> Illinois people south of I-80. Um, we, we've got some serious need now. Yeah. Don't forget about us. Yeah. Good old Central Illinois, man. Um, you know, and uh, I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I think just a as an ignorant uh, person who's never really um, worked in the billing part of things and everything like that, when you say allowing, and maybe I got this wrong, allowing more providers to bill for Medicaid or Medicare, that mm -hmm. just basically means, correct me if I'm wrong, that these people, maybe there are people now who want to work with, with maybe lower income people who have these services, but they are not being reimbursed by the services. And you're trying to get them to be able to take that, take those patients and be reimbursed for their time. Is, is that basically what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. So for example, is I am a licensed clinical professional counselor. Mm -hmm. In order to get that degree, I had to complete graduate school. I had to complete um, two years of supervision by a clinical supervisor, and I had to take two state credential tests to get licensed. That's the same exact process as a licensed clinical social worker. Same thing. Graduate school, supervision, two state tests. Yeah. The LCSW can bill for Medicare. I can't. And that that all goes back to the way that the law is written or or put into place. And and so yep. that's why you are as much as you and your team can are working with um, uh, those in power or the politicians to make those changes. So as somebody yep. who's a member of the community or anybody who's listening, who's a member of a obviously a community, a small community, a large community, what can people do to help? the work that you're trying to do on that front, i.e. to advocate to get the laws changed? What are some certain things that people can do uh, in order to help get that work, you know, over the finish line, as it were? Yeah, I would say find those individuals that have been negatively impacted by the system and be their voice. And then not only be their voice, create a platform that they can stand on so they can tell their own story. Um, it's amazing of how many people are denied services or that their services are cut short because the insurance says, oh, well, you've got this diagnostic code. You should be fixed in seven sessions. Um, that doesn't work. So I think, again, humanizing the need and to tell these politicians that if you want to be a great community, you take care of the marginalized population. And and guess what, politicians? They vote too. True. They do. I'm, they do. Uh, humanizing the need. I, I rang a bell there just briefly. This is a sad times thing, certainly not anything else. Uh, we've started ringing a bell every time something like where the insurance company for uh, let's take um, rehab. Uh, as an example, we'll be like, okay, you had your 28 days. You're good to go. Thanks. We're done paying for it. Right. Which, you know, we're not even going to go down that road, but that obviously usually does not work. Um, and so in, in that, what, what are the biggest pushbacks that you get? Not necessarily from politicians, just in your work to further destigmatizing mental health, to, further allowing resources for the community and for those who are marginalized? What are kind of the biggest pushbacks, even in general or specific, that you get that you're still having to fight against every day? Uh, there's a lot of needy people out there. Money's tight. Um, Republicans don't raise taxes. <laughs> I mean, there, it's it's money. It's it's money. And, and if I can sound maverick of we're not going to take care of people for such a silly thing like money. Um, if we, there's a statement that's out there that says an ounce of prevention saves a pound of treatment. What I think is interesting to me is both in the physical health and the behavioral health, we seem to get it backwards. And when we start talking about behavioral health treatment, we go to the back end. We're like, all right, now that they've been fully, their their symptoms are fully exacerbated and and now it's becoming a socioeconomic problem. Now we'll deal with it. 
<laughs> why weren't we doing anything in the front part? Why weren't we doing social emotional learning? Why weren't we giving free counseling to kids um, that experienced a trauma that we know about? Why don't we get more therapists in the schools so that we can reduce barriers? Because guess what? The parents sometimes might be their issue and they won't take them to treatment. So put the treatment in the school. It's really, really simple stuff like that. Um, you know, my wife and I were making a comment of, if you ever watch the news anymore and you see the commercials that are, that are out there, it's, you know, uh, car, car ad, car ad, car ad, medicine, 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 and more medicine. And then back to our regular broadcasting. Right, with side effects like, side effects may include death. Yeah, While right. people are like playing volleyball or whatever. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 So we address the issue after it's already happened. We're, we're a reactive generation. We need to be investing into our communities. And so, you know, not to get political by any means, but, you know, we see some of these national tragedies of, of mass shootings and whatnot. In almost all of those circumstances, there's been some really significant, horrific things happening um, to the individuals that have committed these atrocities. And I'm not going to, to diminish the fact of what their actions led to. But what I am going to say is there does appear to be issues where they were very negatively impacted in their past. And we can speculate all we want, but where was their help? Mm -hmm. Where was their image? So I, I think that's obviously a very valid question. And and it, it gets to kind of the talking point that we hear uh, so often. Oh, we have a mental health crisis. But then I don't see and, and you you obviously are much closer to this. I'm not seeing a lot of change on that front at, at moving towards the preventive, moving towards giving those resources. And so it, right. it rings hollow to me when I hear that. Right. Because right now in Illinois, you've got a lot of cops now being put into your schools, not a lot of therapists. And I'm a big law enforcement guy. I think that a, a resource officer is an amazing thing. I think it destigmatizes law enforcement where mm. They're not looked at as punitive, but they are looked at as a community resource. Brilliant. Kudos. I think that's great. Why not do the same thing for counselors? That's that's true. And, you know, uh, speaking of stigmatizing and having the counselors in the school, if we had more of them and they're more of the daily uh, thing, like, oh, I go to PE, oh, I go to this. I When I was in fifth grade, I remember they called over the um, – the PA announcer or whatever, like basically like, Hey, Kevin needs to go to the therapist, like to everybody in the class. And I was like, Oh, whoops. Yeah. I forgot about that. And then everybody's kind of looking at me, but if it's, it's like also if we, as you're saying, if we have those more of those resources there, it becomes more normalized and we accept that. And then it maybe will lead us. We're, we're moving the ship ever so slowly towards the preventative idea of these things and not, Oh, something has happened. Now let's take stock, like a postmortem of it. Um, uh, it, 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 it. I think it's just a very val valid point that you are making. And do you think yeah. it does come back to money for the most part? Or, well, I think it's money, but I also think it's just being uh, having some creativity. So, mm. um, I'll stay on the school front. So, sure. I recently heard of a project that was put together in a very small rural school, not too far from where I'm physically located. And they just called it the care corner. It was for second graders. So uh, the care corner is a corner that had a, um, a, a partition and the student, whenever they felt exacerbated or, or um, they found a little wound up or a little anxious, they could go back to the care corner. They could play with an activity, color a page, play with some puppets or something like that. Uh, there were a lot of sight words that explained what their feelings were. There were stress balls and they could address their, their symptom, however they chose to. And they had a three minute timer when they had to go back there. They set a three minute timer. They do whatever they need to do to deescalate. When the timer goes off, 
go right back in and sit down in their chair. Now, at first, the teachers were afraid that the students were going to abuse their time. And in the first quarter, they did. They went back there because they were curious. What's back here behind the corner? You know, is it the great Oz or something? And so they play around with it. They mess around with it. But then kids started figuring out, wait a minute, this actually works. And by the second semester, it wasn't a big deal. Hmm. Hey, I'm feeling a little anxious. I went back to the care corner, three minutes, right back in the saddle again. What a beautiful, beautiful message to say. We all got crap that we go through. We go deal with our wellness is wellness and come right back into the saddle, restored, empowered, and uh, focused for learning. Great stuff. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And also, I, I think that points out to the idea that there aren't always going to be overnight easy fixes for these things, and you need to be patient with them. To your point, you know, uh, when it first started, yeah, maybe they are searching around and, and maybe, quote, abusing their time, quote, unquote. But as you, if you stick with these programs, they help. They yeah. help. And, you know, one of, one of the biggest struggles that I have uh, is, I'd probably say, with my OCD, with my anxiety, is, is you know, um, emotions overcome me. And then I just become, I'm reacting to my emotions, right? And to be able to have that in, say, second grade, to understand, oh, I'm overwhelmed because of my emotions. And not say, oh, you're bad, go over there. It's like, oh, you're just going to go deal with these emotions for three minutes and then come back. I mean, to get something that early has got to be I mean, that, that's that got to be a huge boon and change for people as they get older and they get uh, presented with more and more complicated situations that they go in where emotions become more and more heightened. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about the model of discipline for from like parental discipline, I mean, I was a bad kid, so um, I, I got spanked, but, you know, the more progressive people would give people timeouts. Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get a timeout if you don't behave. But if we think about the model of what that, timeout model was actually supposed to be. The timeout model was not supposed to be punitive. The timeout model was, we can tell that you're starting to spiral into an unhealthy behavior. So go take a timeout so that you can calm, calm down, address your thoughts, rationalize, and then come back to the situation. The problem is parents use that as a punitive measure. You're bad. Go to timeout. How many of us as adults probably should give our own selves a timeout before <laughs> we ratchet up and do something inappropriate? Uh, I, I would venture to say all of us, yeah. right? Because we're human beings and emotions are, are powerful, powerful things. And if you have, and it takes practice, man. I mean, it yep. really does. It's, it's not, again, it's not, an, you, you mentioned it earlier. You, you have to tend to these things. It's not like, um, in a speech that I give about um, mental health, it's not like you break your wrist, right? And then you put a cast on it and then the cast comes off and you're fine. That's not how mental health is. But yet we, I think, tend to see it that way. I don't know if that's so we can wash our hands of it or if we don't want to have a complicated debate about it. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe Maybe you have some opinions on that. I don't know. But it's very clearly not the same thing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've, I've been married for over 20 years and I make mistakes hourly uh, in my marriage, I think. Um, and so I'll just use that example. As a new husband, I constantly was just putting my own foot in my mouth and I didn't have a stable marriage to, for my parents to see what that looked like. So I'm just winging this bad boy and, and crashing and burning horrendously. Um, but I had people that loved me that said, hey, Tony, um, next time you get upset with your wife, you probably shouldn't say you're acting just like your mother. I mean, or anything like that. It, mm -hmm. You know, I needed an advocate. I needed somebody that was about two or three steps down the road that could tell me these are some things that I have found beneficial in my walk with wellness. And again, I, I, I'll keep coming back to it. Wellness is wellness. And so... You know, if I'm having uh, an anxiety attack, I want to know, um, you know, many different types of pathways, what's worked for people. And I'll try them out on my own. Like, I'll see if those work or not. Mm -hmm. But um, to just be left with, oh, you need to get your stuff together. What does that mean? Like, you know, 
Right. I think I've seen that meme where it's like, you know, you need to get your ducks in a row and it's like, I don't even know where my ducks are. Yeah. And then there's that meme where they're, they're in the back of a squad car or something like that. It's, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to pull myself up by my bootstraps because I don't even have any boots on. Yeah. And advocacy. And then, you know, it's kind of like whether we're children or adults, we model behavior of those around us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you made the reference to say, you know, you you're, you did not have a stable marriage uh, in which to model. And so that showed itself in your marriage and you're not doing it alone. We can't do this alone. And so you said I had people who love me, who had experienced it and advocated for me to make these changes or, or gave me some direction. And yeah, that's great in the family setting. Of course, that's great in a friend setting, but it's also so I think it brings us back to community. We're all modeling for each other because we all are, in my opinion, um, I may do something better than somebody else, but certainly everybody does 90 other things better than I do. And in small interactions, we are able to model for each other and may say, hey, you know what? I'm going to try better next time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, here in our community, it, it's the same way is we need to um, come along people that are struggling with their mental health instead of um, uh, isolating them or or um, Facebook here in, in our community is great. We love to just talk gossip and say horrible things about people. Um, yay, the benefits of social media. Um, Unending. And, and, yeah. And so... Um, you know, we come up with stories about people with mental health that are so not even true. Like they're bad people. Morality has nothing to do with behavioral health. Nothing. Bam. Say that again, so, please. Please say that yeah. again. Uh, morality has nothing to do about behavioral health. It's not a character flaw. It's not sometimes even a voluntary choice uh, of behavior. They're just emoting. And, and that's what happens. So um, I've heard that People say that in the absence of information, they will either insert suspicion or trust. So in the absence of information, I'm going to either trust that you're a good person with a good heart, with good intentions, or I'm going to put suspicion. What are you up to? Um, So, you know, the easiest one is I see a group of kids hanging out downtown. Mm-hmm. What are those little punks up to? They're probably waiting for me to turn my back before they start graffitiing the place. Or maybe it's just they're they're encouraging each other. Their friend had a hard day, and so they're just loving on him through uh, um, peanut butter parfait or something like that. Right. That's the whole thing about behavioral health. I see somebody on the street. They're behaving erratically. What am I going to put in my narrative? Trust or suspicion? That's that's a really powerful thing to say, and I, I think that's right. And it, it unfortunately, um, I think more often than not, suspicion is what is chosen. Um, again, going back to that anxiety about anxiety thing, that the, the, the irony we mentioned earlier. And something, too, that you mentioned earlier is when you were first starting to talk about what your uh, community mental health center does, you named a bunch of different things. And uh, even for somebody like me who has been going to therapy for 32 years, is now a mental health advocate, et cetera, you really laid it out really well to say, like, as you said earlier, it's not just take a pill, we're done. It's not this. Talk about how maybe there are some misconceptions that people think, oh, there's only one or two ways that we're attacking this here. And, you know, I'm not interested in doing that or I don't want to put my tax dollars towards that or, or what have you. Tell us about the myriad ways that that your um, uh, community mental health center and then all across the country, people are trying to uh, treat this. OK, yeah. Um, well, let's just take the topic of substance use disorder. So. The most recent uh, data I think I've seen is around 15% of the U.S. population has a substance use disorder, 15. Um, so it's a little less than one than five. Uh, what, what we can say is that how do we attack substance use disorder? Well, we use the correct language at first. The very first part of harm reduction is using the right word. So we don't use the word addict or junkie or wino or alcoholic. They are a person with a substance use disorder. They're a person first. 
The substance use disorder does not define them. It does not contain them. They are working through a medical disease. Um, so our language, um, that's why I like the youth prevention education that we do. Um, I don't think the Nancy Reagan just say no <laughs> uh, works. Uh, I think educating our youth. These are the dangers. These uh, and, and these is what can happen. Um, this is the chemical component of some of this stuff. Um, like my family, I have a genetic predisposition to addiction. So I know I can't dance to the fire very closely. Like there are certain things in my behavior that if I have two drinks, I'm going to have all of them until I have my last one. Uh, and that'll, and so I choose to educate my kids. Hey, this, this is something you probably don't want to play with. Um, we, t we talk to people about the availability of treatment. So sadly, a lot, most of the, the individuals with substance use issue we see, they're being seen because they're being ordered into treatment for punitive legal reasons. Hmm. We're not really going out of our way to say, why don't you choose treatment? Like, why don't we educate you about that? Why don't we walk you towards that? It's normally we, burn a lot of bridges. And then that's one of our last options. It's treatment or jail. Um, so there, there are different ways there too. So again, you know, I don't want to be too nerdy, but even those that struggle with substance use disorder, some of them are genetically predisposed. They started experimenting. They got a chemical dependency on it, but I'll just tell you from my experience, a lot of those individuals that are struggling have had trauma back there mm -hmm. and they are self medicating to deal with undealt with trauma. Um, and so you can do all the 12 steps and the higher power and all of that stuff. And I'm a man of faith and I believe in that, but I also believe that unless you get down to the root of the issue, you're just going to be dealing with symptoms. So we deal with treatment that way. And then um, because one of the best things that you can do in uh, behavioral health or substance use is not let anybody be alone. And so you do treatment through peer support recovery. So um, people that have been there, like I said before, the advocates that, that have been there and they are holding each other accountable, or there might be some medicated assisted treatment because of the chemical dependency. Of, um, I talked to a psychiatrist once that said um, his belief was you handle substance use disorder with a little bit of behavioral health and a little bit of Ativan because huh. it was like, it's kind of hard to, to land the plane smoothly when they're crashed their nose down. You yeah. know, that, that's mm -hmm. a hard, cold Turkey run. So let's give them a little bit to deal with the anxiety so that they have a fighting chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So multiple, multiple pathways there. Kevin. I, I, yeah. And thank you for elucidating some of those because I think it is important again, you know, it's not just, lay on a couch, talk, you know, Freudian stuff, you know, there's, there's just so much going on and it goes back to, and I'm going to use the phrase now too. And, and guess what? It's going to be the title of the episode, wellness is wellness and uh, wellness is wellness and advocate, um, excuse me, advocacy for those people who may not know they need help or do know they need help, but maybe don't know where to go. And I think that's another major problem, especially for people who don't have the means. Um, as you said, I believe you said about 67% of uh, the people that you guys service have Medicaid. Mm -hmm. So is there, and this is, this may be too broad of a question, but is there a place where people who maybe don't have the means, uh, you know, can't just go on the Blue Cross Blue Shield website and find a therapist, that type of thing. Is there a, what resources do, are there out there, whether it be what your uh, and your organization, organizations like you provide or the government or charities, you know, are, can you give us some examples of those? Yeah. So there, there's a couple places people can go to address their behavioral health. Um, I'll start uh, with community mental health centers. They were established in Illinois under the Community Mental Health Act of 1967. So in almost every major community, you're going to have a um, community mental health center. Um, you'll also have centers uh, that are similar in larger metropolitan areas that deal with the marginalized community, 
um, with both behavioral health and and um, and physical or primary care. Typically, they started with primary care and now they're branching into behavioral health. The, those are called your federally qualified health centers, FQHCs. Um, so close to us is one in Decatur and one in Champaign. Um, so those are other areas. Obviously, um, you know, there are the 988 uh, suicide helpline, uh, the warm line. There is the, um, for substance use disorder, there is the lifeline that individuals use. Um, there are some good uh, Christian counselors, if that is something of faith. Um, but I will say one quick plug uh, is uh, what I thought was interesting. I heard a study that said 78% of all people that experience a mental health issue go to their pastor first, um, which may be a good thing. If that individual has the professional training to do that, um, but many don't, if I'm just being honest, many don't. So uh, the smartest thing that any behavioral health provider could know is who to refer to. Like me too, know my limits, know when I don't need to cowboy up on this thing and be like, nope, I don't have experience. I do know somebody that does. Um, uh, there, there is a lot of different, uh, means by telehealth. So, um, you can, you can get behavioral health services through telehealth. So like in our area, we have a population of 16,000 people, mostly rural access, uh, for transportation is huge. If I could say the only good thing, uh, or one of the only good things that COVID brought was telehealth. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. so that, that helped in a lot of our rural populations that they physically couldn't make it to our building. Uh, we can do um, a counseling session through a secured platform. And, you know, this this might be oversimplifying it, but say if somebody is listening to this and if they even Google uh, my, maybe their county name and mental health center, especially, yeah. well, if we're just talking about Illinois for now, like since 67, you're saying most of these, they exist everywhere. So Google should, you know, if AdWords, all that good stuff. Yep. Should be able to give them that. And tell me that the, the federal FQ, uh, tell me that acronym again, please. It's it's the FQHC, Federally Qualified Health Center. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where if people find it online, they could probably find more about it at the library. Uh, yep. You want to talk about the greatest thing that human beings have ever done. It's certainly the library, but uh, I digress. Uh, and talk about community, man. Anyway. Um, yep. What is something that people who are listening to this who may be local to you or how can they help either your community mental health center or the mental health center, you know, in their community? Is it as simple as donating money? Is it as simple as advocating to, you know, your representative? Is it as simple as just talking about it with your family and friends? Like what what are some of the the, the really easy or difficult things, just things that people can do to help shine a spotlight on, on the work that you and, and similar organizations are doing. Yeah, I would think um, the easiest underhand one would be find your federally qualified health center, find your uh, community mental health center, call, ask if you can talk to their director and, and schedule a time to come in and just learn about your resource because um, – you can be an advocate for behavioral health in your own community, but you don't want to be a bad advocate. So you you don't want to be, um, there are a lot of times where you might only be given one opportunity for an individual who's actively seeking treatment. You want to make sure when those situations come on that you have the accurate information because what I'm going to do if I'm having a behavioral health or a substance use issue, I'm going to call one time, mm. one time. And if that information is incorrect or somebody treats me poorly, I'm gone again. And then who knows how much longer I'm dealing with my issue. So, so educate yourself, make yourself aware of what the resources are. Talk to your local directors. They'll tell you, this is what we have. And this is quite frankly, what we need. And then yes, advocate into the community. Um, how can we expand access to care? Um, how can we get more providers in here or, or, Quite frankly, where I'm at right now, Kevin, is how can I retain the providers I have? Because they're being 
siphoned off from universities, Department of Corrections, private practice, um, because they can make more money. Mm. Um, and and I want everybody to do well. So um, I wish everybody well. And and but it is it is a constant struggle for some of us that have low reimbursement rates. So yeah, education number one thing: education and see people as people, not their disorder. That's so true. And you know, I I wanted to ask you how often you know in your work uh, and the work that you've been doing over these years, do you think of uh, Mr. Steve Allen? A lot. My wife says I should reach out to Steve. And I'm like, I probably should. And as a provider, if somebody ever was impacted at all by something I would have said in the past, I would have been so moved and validated. But there's a part of me, Kevin, this feels like I'm a creeper. Like, hey, I haven't <laughs> talked to you in 35 years. You meant a lot to me in that room when we just talked one-on-one. Like, that's kind of weird. So yeah. I, well, yeah. I probably should. Random acts of, you know, and it's not even uh, professionals or, or, or people, that's their job. Random acts of kindness that are shown to people are going to yeah. be remembered 30 years later, 40 years later. And those don't cost anything, you know, and it, it goes back to what you're saying. Trust and suspicion, trust and suspicion. Yeah. If you are on the other, I would imagine if you're on the other end of that and say, I'm just throwing a number out there, 70% choose suspicion. How uh enlightening how wonderful would it be when people do show you that random act of kindness and say you're a person i'm a person we are people and we're all trying to get through it you know what i mean yeah absolutely um you know and tony i i do have to say this as 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 we are wrapping up um the work that you do and the and the work that your team does and the work that teams like your teams all across the country and across the world um, uh, is something that I rarely hear talked about. Uh, I, I rarely see con um, um, commendation for it, any of that. But uh, I'm of the belief that you guys are heroes and that you you offer so much to people who have so little. And to be able to do that and to to continue to drive home the fact that wellness is wellness and we are all in this community together, I think is a really powerful, important uh, message. And I thank you for all the work that you're doing. I thank you for all the work that your team is doing. And, you know, as we're wrapping up, is there anything maybe that you wanted to say that we did not get to during our conversation um, that maybe you wanted to share now? Uh, yeah, I, I would say two things. One is I want to thank you with the utmost sincerity for creating a platform for people to share their stories, especially for us. I think that um, my team does amazing work. They, 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 they change the world every single day because brave people come in to address their issues um, and allow us the privilege to peek into it and, and resource them however we can. So I want to say thank you so much to you and uh, your your podcast for doing that. Um, what I would tell general people that are listening is the first session is the hardest. Mm, very, very um, good point. Yeah. Be courageous. Address your wellness because wellness is wellness, man. I Man, I'm going to start saying that all the time. And I'm not yep. kidding. I, I am. And um, I, I love that you said that. The first session, it's, it's again, being patient with it. The first session isn't going to solve all your problems. Also, something that I say often is if you go and you, and you have a provider that you're talking with, and you're like, well, this maybe isn't working for me. That doesn't mean that the help isn't out there. You yeah. Know? I, I would say um, uh, I've used the analogy that therapists are like shoes. You got to try them on to see if they're a good fit because some of them might hurt when you walk with them. The other ones, they're a good fit. Um, the other thing was uh, there's a Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu, mm -hmm. and he says that a thousand mile journey starts with a single step. That's exactly right. Um, Tony, uh, I cannot thank you enough again for the work that you do. And thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing, you know, the work that you do, the experiences that you've had and, and what I feel to be really important, insightful um, ideas about community, about wellness and, and about all of us 
you know, trying to get through this together. So thank you so much for your time today and for all the work that you do. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Kevin. Yes. It was a pleasure. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you. It was for me too. And and I'll go ahead and end the episode. Um, the same way I try to end every episode with a reminder that there is always room for kindness and grace. Even within ourselves, I forget it every single day. There is always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.